0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. So glad to be with you on a really wonderful night. And what hopefully will be a wonderful Sunday afternoon like it was last Sunday uh, afternoon as we get ready for the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And we, my friends, have got a jam-packed show as we do each and every Wednesday. We're going to have Andre where. On with us next segment. We're going to have Dirty Red, Clint Sterner coming on, and they're both going to talk about quarterbacks, what's going on in college football. And Clint had an opportunity last night through Sports Radio 610 for a really cool event with Deshaun Watson that they had over there uh, at the Intercom Studios sponsored by Verizon. It was really neat. So we'll talk to Clint about that. We're also going to have on Joshua Briscoe, who covers Kansas City Chiefs for Sports Radio 810, the flagship for the Kansas City Chiefs there in Kansas City. He also does a podcast called Times Hours for the Athletic. Guys, very, very good on the mic. You're going to really like Joshua Briscoe giving us the enemy sideline view. We'll do that with DP City, of course. Then we'll have our Men Behind the Mics segment. Now, I always look forward to Kansas City because that means Mitch Holtus. Fortunately, Mitch was unable to make it. So we just moved one chair to his left, and we talked to color commentator Kendall Gammon who has covered the Chiefs for a long time, played for the Chiefs for a long time, as a long snapper and tight end. And speaking of tight ends, the end of Lab crew took a deep dive on the tight ends, and we'll have that for you as well to close down the show. But we kick off each and every show with Hot Reads, brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Could be motorcycle, could be boat. There's a lot of things that Geico can do for you. And they got the coolest gecko in the entire world. So, first hot read. Let's kick it off with the news we got at 7.30 this morning on the dot. Sean Watson not only announced his foundation yesterday, he was also named AFC Offensive Player of the Week For the second time in three weeks, 426 yards passing, 28 of 33, completion percentage 84.8, second highest yards per attempt in team history. That was also the second highest completion percentage in team history for a game. He had five touchdowns. You can do the math. 33 minus 28 is five. So he had as many touchdowns as he did in completions. That's a phenomenal number. In fact, his red high top Nike cleats have made it to Canton and will be on display in Canton. Why? Because Deshaun was the first player in the history of the NFL to throw for 400 yards or more, five touchdowns or more with five or fewer incompletions. Those are astronomical numbers. Now, Deshaun has thrown for three, I'm sorry, five touchdowns three times in his career. That's 27 regular season starts. Patrick Mahomes, who he will face on Sunday, has 23 starts. He's done it twice. So obviously, these two young bucks are taking over the league. But Watson won it after his performance at L.A. against the Chargers in week three. He wins it again this week in Week after week five. Two times in three weeks. He has now done it one, two times this year. He did it after week four playing the Titans last year, or two years ago, sorry. So he's got three Offensive Player of the Week honors richly deserved. Now, Will Fuller could have been, and I think he was probably in the running as well. 14 catches, 217 yards, three touchdowns. Obviously, they both helped each other. But Sean Watson named AFC Offensive Player of the Week for the third time in his career. That, my friends, is fantastic news. All right, next hot read. we got a lot going on on Wednesday. We've got some transactions. Now, none will impact immediately the 53-man roster. That stays true. But two free agents were signed to the practice squad. Tight end Keenan Brown, who is from the Houston area, started his career at Oklahoma State and then played last year at Texas State and was excellent for the Bobcats. He was a great tight end. And then also Marcus Henry from Boise State was signed as a center-slash-guard, 6'2", 303-pounder. He is added to the practice squad. Now, that's not altogether surprising, Because when you think about Greg Mance out with a concussion, and we talked about this on the broadcast the other day, man, what happens if one of the guards goes down, there's no Mance, the two backups are Chantrell Henderson and Rod Johnson, both tackles. Now, I do think that Chantrell could go in at guard. I don't know if they worked with him at guard. I think he could. I don't know that Rod would go in there. That would make a ton of sense. I think Chantrell could probably go in there and hold his own at guard. But you probably move some things around, move Titus around. If something happens, and then you put Rod or you put Chantrell out of tackle. But there really is not a ton of interior depth. So Marcus Henry is signed to the practice squad. The Texans then released Jarrell Adams and Chris Johnson from the practice squad. So there's your transaction. Keenan Brown, tight end, added to the practice squad. Marcus Henry, a center-slash-guard, an interior offensive lineman, added as well and Drell Adams and Chris Johnson removed from the practice squad. So there you go. All right, next hot read. We're rolling right off roof. <laughs> Let's get to the injury report. Now, the injuries for the Texans have not been horribly significant, I guess, with the exception of uh, Greg Nance, Kenny Stills. They've been relatively healthy, and Greg is still in the concussion protocol after that hit he took at the end of the Carolina game. So he's still in the concussion protocol. Limited participation today was DeAndre Hopkins. Got a veteran sit day. Tywan Jones dealing with the hip. And Kenny Stills still dealing with that hamstring. And hopefully we'll be able to get Kenny back. We'll keep an eye on that one. But he is still limited in practice. The Kansas City side gets kind of interesting. Patrick Mahomes is one everybody wants to talk about. Joshua Briscoe actually posted video today from practice and showing As they were stretching, Pat Mahomes running on that ankle, kind of doing some change of direction stuff on the ankle. He was a full participant in practice, as was LaShawn McCoy and Cam Irving. The bad news for the Chiefs was that starting left tackle Eric Fisher, groin, more than likely is going to be out of this one. Chris Jones also dealing with a groin issue. He more than likely will be out of this one. Those are two of the big uglies the Chiefs need to have. It sounds as if they will not have those two this weekend. Dorian O'Daniel did not practice as well with a hamstring. And here's another one to keep an eye on is Sammy Watkins did not practice with a hamstring. Andrew Wiley had a bad ankle injury. And when he went out, guards struggled against the Colts. Now, the other big one for this one is going to be Tyreek Hill. He was a limited participant dealing with that shoulder. If you remember back in week one, Tyreek caught a pass on the sideline. Jalen Ramsey tackled him, and as he went to the ground, he landed hard on his shoulder, and the initial prognosis was four to six weeks. So we are going into week five. He practiced last week. The thought is, just kind of reading the tea leaves from what's coming from Kansas City, is that he is going to be ready to go on Sunday against the Texans. Now, He still is not taking a hit in practice. I don't know how much Kansas City will hit in practice, and that obviously is the key. How much can he handle? Here's the other wrinkle in all of this. The Chiefs play the Denver Broncos on the road Thursday night. So they've got two games in five days taking on pretty physical defenses. I don't know if this is a situation where maybe they hold Tyreek for that game considering that he has great games against Denver. Hasn't the past until Bradley Roby got him man-to-man last year a couple of times. This is going to be interesting to watch. They might have a pitch count on Tyreek. Maybe he plays 15 to 20 plays. Tyreek Hill being back for the Chiefs is massive. So that's a storyline that we will keep an eye on for your Texans. Greg Mance still out with that concussion. Uh, Kenny Stills dealing with the hamstring on the Chiefs' side, starting left tackle starting interior defensive lineman, one of the best in the league, wide receiver Sammy Watkins. They were DNPs today at practice. Tyreek Hill was a limited participant in practice. So there you go. All right. Our final hot read is one of my faves, and that is
1: Texans Audio Jukebox.
0: That's right. Let's do a little Texas Audio Jukebox. And we put a quarter in the slot, and it came up Andy Reid. Andy Reid, yeah, Andy Reid, he had an opportunity to meet with the media today from Houston. It's called a conference call. And he talked about Deshaun Watson. He said, man, I am really impressed with what Deshaun is able to do, especially in chaotic situations.
2: In the quarterbacks' world, nothing's perfect, right? So your pocket and everything, and can you make a play when everything's not perfect? So. <clears throat> he, he can do that. And so if things break down, he can he can still make things happen. And, um, and at the same time, when he's in the pocket, he makes things happen. So And their offensive line has done a nice job for him.
0: They have, there's no question. But Andy Reid knows all about quarterbacks that can do things in chaotic situations. And it's one of the things that you noticed about him at Texas Tech. And Andy Reid said, yeah, we saw that in Mahomes, and that was part of the reason we wanted to trade up and get him. But there's more
2: plays and um he did that in college and you're seeing him do the same things uh and you guys saw it firsthand right but he's doing the same thing um now so he if things break down he can he can make it happen he's a smart kid you know and very sharp so he can handle
0: a lot there's no question he can handle a lot you can see it on the sidelines and one of the guys that Patrick Mahomes does have the opportunity to throw to is Travis Kelsey I saw him in college, and I thought, boy, this guy's going to be an absolute dude. He is, if you're not facing him, he's fun to watch. I think he's maybe the most dynamic tight end in the game now with Gronk out. There are a bunch of them. Zach Ertz with Philadelphia, George Kittle with San Francisco. Obviously, the Texans have got a good pair of tight ends right now. Travis Kelsey's a whole different dude. He's got a lot of things you like, and I think the Chiefs will use him on Sunday.
2: Um, We have moved him around a lot of spots you know and, um, and he can you know he can handle the mental part of it and then he's uh you know he's a good route runner so I mean, that's uh, you know that becomes important if you're going to widen them flex them out and do the things the wide receivers do or keep them in tight and do what the tight ends do you gotta you have to have the capacity to handle it mentally and then you gotta be, have the fundamentals to uh, run the right routes uh, correctly, or do the routes correctly,
0: and he can he can do that. You know, it's interesting when you chart the Chiefs. I've been charting them all day, just going back over the Lions game and the Colts game. And one of the things you do is you write down you know, what's the personnel. And there are times when I'm writing down ten personnel, and I'm like, oh wait, yeah, but what, Kelsey's out there. Oh, well, that's technically eleven personnel, but because Kelsey is as good a receiver as anybody the Chiefs have, you almost treat like ten personnel. And there's a huge difference between. Let me think about the Texans. When the Texans have ten personnel in the field, you're talking about, uh, you know, four wides, and no tight end, and so matching up with them is kind of difficult. But then take one of the receivers out, put a tight end there, and that matchup is different. Well, now Kelsey, well, do you, t- do you treat him like a tight end or you treat him like a wide receiver? It's interesting, kind of going through because when I write down twelve personnel, when they have another tight end with him, it feels it feels odd. It feels like that's not right. So the Texans have that challenge of how do you handle Kelsey. Treat him as a receiver, or do you treat him as a tight end? Obviously, one of the players that Kansas City has that we're all interested in Houston because he spent a year with the Texans, and he has a long-storied history uh, having played for LSU is Tyron Matthew. And I know the Chiefs have got to love him. And Andy Reid says, yes, there's no doubt. Tyron Matthew has definitely made a difference for this Kansas City defense.
2: He's a real good leader and um, loves to play the game, so he brings a certain energy uh, every day. Um, and, and listen, he's just—they're—they're they're just getting a feel of this defense. I mean, that's—I uh, mean, you saw that with Tyron last uh, last week with the the interception. He'd been so close on two, three, four of them that you know he, it was killing him. So, but he—he he, he was able to make make one last week, and it, you know it helped us. And then he made a big play on attack. So you're him—you know—seeing him get a little more comfort in the in the defense.
0: This is a new defense. Steve Spagnuolo take took over for Bob Sutton. And, you know, it's a defense that held the Colts. I say held the Colts. Held the Colts at 19. You now, the Colts can put up some points. You know, they're not the explosive unit that we saw with Andrew Luck, but they could put up some points. And they held them to 19 and, and actually put the Chiefs in a position to win that game had they been able to make one play uh, at some point to put the ball in the end zone. And the Chiefs, weren't a, a Chiefs' offense for the first time really wasn't able to do that. And the defense really picked it up all right let's go to Deshaun Watson like hearing from Deshaun Watson and he said you know what I I've known Patrick pretty well I've known him actually for a pretty long time and just look forward to Sunday
1: we kind of go way back from early college days um, being able to you know work out in California Southern California together with Jordan Palmer and uh different other coaches and and throughout college and different camps so um, you know, we're real real good friends and, and have a lot um, of mutual friends and, and kind of things in common.
0: Nice to see. I, I love I don't know, something about Deshaun's connection with other quarterbacks that to me is, I, I don't know, it's, it's really, really cool. Deshaun was asked a question about why younger quarterbacks are more able to step in and are more NFL ready coming out of college. I thought his answer was
1: really interesting. Take a listen technology is awesome um, and the 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 coaching staff that are in the younger generation is is teaching these um, even myself but teaching younger quarterbacks you know about defenses and how to read coverages and uh, if you have that right coach that can that can teach you about the knowledge of the game and picture around situations and pitch you through you know situations before you get in live situations it really helped and so um, you know just for you know, younger guys coming in, they're are more prepared, more ready. Um, you know, back then, like I said, the technology wasn't as sharp, so now you can get on YouTube and get on, you know, watch live, you know, games and, and see what the defense is doing and, and kind of talk with your coaches and, and watch film. Um, back then, you know, it wasn't too much of that. You just kind of – if you have it, you have it. If not, you just don't.
0: And they're doing some good stuff in college right now. There, there's some, some innovative stuff that's going on in college that's filtering up to the NFL – And these young quarterbacks know it. They're being taught very, very well at the college level. Uh, I think Deshaun was right on point with what he had to say. So there you go, a little Texans audio jukebox. There you go. All right, coming up next, let's talk to our audio jukebox. Every Sunday you hear him right next to Mark Vandermeer. It's Andre Ware right here on Texans All Access. Hey, Houston teachers, I am talking to all of you. You want to bring a little Texans football to your classroom Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help 3rd 4th graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris. I am part of the Radio Game Day broadcast crew. And my two cohorts are coming up next. Mark Vandermeer had a chance to sit down with our game analyst, Andre Ware, earlier today.
3: Joining us right now on Texans Radio is my buddy, color commentator Andre Ware. Well, Dre, uh, we're all basking in the glow of what happened this past week, but every week is different in the NFL, like we've said. However, let's talk about some of the things that happened. That was a nice display of offense, and defensively they made the big play at the end. What are your thoughts a few days later as to what you saw on Sunday?
4: Yeah, I think uh, thoughts are that they uh, they they put the the league on notice in terms of uh, that they're not a a, a one horse show with uh, in the passing game, with just DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller when he's healthy is as good as anybody. The speed to to take the top off the defense, so you have to respect that. That's going to open up some things, especially underneath and in the middle of the field. Where oh yeah, Darren Fells had one heck of a game as well and I thought the the running game did just enough uh to where it was it needs to be respected and and it opened up things in the passing game so Deshaun obviously uh, I think he had his best game this past weekend and uh, he'll continue to grow from
3: this well he needs to have another great game this weekend and I don't know how you feel but despite the fact that Mahomes was banged up last week they lost they couldn't score a lot of points I think you got to go into Arrowhead thinking you need to score 35 points or more to win a football game. What are you thinking?
4: Yeah, we were kind of joking after the game that, you know, maybe save some of those points and take them to Kansas City and, and dump them on the scoreboard to start the game. But, unfortunately, that's not how it works. He, uh, he'll he come back. He'll be ready this week. And I think a couple of other players uh, will be back as well. There's, there's talk and rumors that Tyreek uh, Hill will be back. Uh, he's been practicing, but there's been non-contact, so he may be ready to go, and that adds certainly a weapon to uh, to what Kansas City
3: wants to do. Well, so what do you think about the way to attack them? After you've seen what happened Sunday with the Colts, how do you go after Kansas City? I think
5: you
4: just muddy it up. You, you rely on the running game in this one, whereas with, with, uh, with Atlanta, the secondary was – was what it was. You knew you could throw the football against them. I think it's just the opposite approach in this one. Uh, Indianapolis, watching that game, they ran the ball, I think it was 45 times, and really controlled the game. And it's also good in a sense that if you're able to do it, uh, you keep an explosive offense off the field. So uh, you limit the times that Patrick Mahomes has the ball in his hands, if provided you can indeed run the football. But I think that's the recipe. A lot of Carlos Hyde, a lot of Duke Johnson, and, uh, and keep the game short uh, not allow uh, Kansas City to go on or, or really hit you quickly because that's a way they they stay in it even if you're running the football you can't give up big plays against an offense
3: like that do you think it helps the fact that the uh, Texans were at the Superdome and had to deal with all the noise then and a lot of people thought that was the loudest game a Texans game that they've ever been to. What do you thinking as you face the Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium and have to deal with all the noise? Does it help the Texans that they just went through it relatively recently?
4: Yeah, I think it helps. It helps from a communication standpoint of how to communicate in a noisy environment like that. But the one thing you know about crowds in, in any sport is when you give them something to cheer about, they're going to cheer and they're going to be loud. Uh, I think it's, it's important and vital uh, in this game to certainly – quiet the crowd early get off to a not just a good start but a great start where there's all types of pressure on Kansas City and then the crowd's thinking oh oh boy, here we go again uh, are we as good as we we thought we were uh, the, the, that's what you need to to kind of have fester throughout the stadium with a great start jumping up early you know uh, 10 14 points early in the game and then forcing all the pressure on Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City.
3: Dre, I thought one of the headlines of the game was not just the Chiefs losing, it was how good the Colts looked and the fact that they were able to game plan their way into that victory. And you mentioned how many times they ran the ball and the guys they had out, no Darius Leonard, no Hooker, and they're still doing the job on defense and on offense.
4: Yeah, a lot of respect for Frank Reich and and what he does there. Uh, Big on analytics, so you know, you can look forward to, to a lot of fourth-down situations where they're going to go for it and uh, just let let things rip. Uh, that's how he coaches the game, and, and you have to admire that. But I thought also Kansas City had a lot of guys out, a couple of defensive linemen were out in that ball game, and, you know, it's, you don't want to not take advantage of it. And I thought the Colts did a great job of identifying a problem that Kansas City had and exploiting it you're out and you're down defensive linemen, you keep running the football sooner or later, things are going to break. They may hold up early, but certainly as the game progresses, get to the late in the third, fourth quarter, those guys are tired. And now there's no depth behind them uh, to give them a rest and to spell them. So uh, they did a great job. Indianapolis did on the road. Hopefully that blueprint is uh, is still in play this week.
3: Andre, the Titans are going to be at the Broncos this week, and Tennessee is just a total mystery, how you only score seven points at home. I know they had kicking game issues. Still, coming off the win they had at Atlanta, coming home to only score a touchdown and lose to the Bills. Your thoughts on their situation?
4: Yeah, it's just a mystery. You shake, you scratch your head, you 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 try to figure out the Titans, uh, good luck. But, you know, I don't know. From week to week, there's really no consistency in how – Marcus Mariota is going to come out and play. There's no consistency in how their offense comes out. And they've got weapons. They've got guys that could certainly get it done. But every single week, it's it's uh, they look like they're going to turn the corner and be a viable opponent <clears throat> within the division and certainly in the AFC. And then the next week, uh, it's something different. So uh, your guess is as good as mine in terms of trying to figure that team out. Now, one that progressively gets better that you do or you are concerned about is Indianapolis and, and the way they, they kind of go about their business with the injuries. They're going to get healthy at some point uh, and add playmakers to an already solid defense. That's a, that's a scary opponent within the division.
3: Yep, and they have a bye as they get ready for the Texans a week from Sunday. Jaguars are hosting the Saints how happy are you for Teddy Bridgewater that he's able to pull this off right now?
4: Oh, very, because, I mean, you talk about an injury that happens in a practice, an everyday practice, and basically uh, changed the course of his career. You go from being the starting quarterback in Minnesota to that injury happening, and then the next thing you know, you're on the street, and he seemed to have found uh, a home in uh, in New Orleans. Now, we, I knew he could play. It was just a matter of, could he get himself healthy and and uh, play with the confidence that the knee would hold up, and it seems like he is having absolute fun. Uh, That's going to be a tough game for Jacksonville. It's a a tough game for anybody when you face New Orleans with Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Taysom Hill, whoever they put under center. But he is playing now with a lot of confidence, and the most important thing is that Sean Payton has confidence in him to go ahead and open up the playbook. So they're, they're a dangerous team. I look for the Saints to take care of the Jags in that one.
3: What do you think is up with the Cowboys with back-to-back losses? They lost to the Saints on the road, and the loss is one thing, but they only scored 10 points in that game, and then they come home, and the Pack takes care of them, and I think the Packers are pretty good too. So those are two pretty good teams. Other teams they've played, not so good, including the Jets this week, but Sam Darnold is back for New York. What do you think?
4: Yeah, you know, the Packers have a lot of injuries on defense, so you kind of wonder why is it that the Cowboys all of a sudden are kind of struggling offensively, and I think maybe – uh, they've gotten a, a little bit too far away from from uh, from Zeke from from the running game, and uh, you know until they get back to that, that's that's where the bread is buttered, so to speak. But how good are they really? I mean, look at the opponents they played early in the season, and then you give them uh, some quality opponents, and then they drop the last two. So, I'm uh, not sure exactly what the Cowboys are right now. Uh, I think they're somewhere in between how they started the season and where they are right now, which is, you know, maybe good enough to win that division, maybe not, uh, but certainly in the conversation.
3: All right, where are you with college football this week?
4: Going to New Orleans to Tulane, a team that's hot, <clears throat> four and one to start the season. They're receiving votes in the uh, the coaches' poll to see, um, you know, or actually just receiving votes in the coaches' poll uh, it's the first time since I think 1998 where they went undefeated that they've had a start like this at four and one. That year, uh, with Sean King at quarterback, they were they were a pretty good football team. Mm-hmm. So Willie Fritz is a coach that I really, really, and I mean really admire. So much so that I wanted to see him uh, after he was, you know, we I knew he was going to leave. Sam Houston. I wanted to see him on the campus at the University of Houston because I admire and uh, and respect the way he goes about his business that much. When I watch film, I can tell how well they're uh, how well they're coached just the finer details of uh, of just getting guys open. It's fun for me to watch it. They're playing a team that uh, you know they should take care of in Yukon this week and, and, and Randy Edsel back there for a second time. It's a much tougher uh, tougher job for him the second time
3: around. UConn, my gosh, don't get me started. One of my all time <laughs> arch enemies in the world of sports. Dre, thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday, my friend.
0: All right, man. We'll see you there. There's our good pal Andre Ware joining Mike earlier today. Dre's got the call in New Orleans, Tulane, UConn, and then he will fly to Kansas City and be ready to go for Sunday. Patrick Mahomes v. Deshaun Watson, Chiefs. The Texans on Sunday. All right, we get back. My man Dirty Red's going to stop by. He had a really cool opportunity last night with our quarterback, Deshaun Watson. I'll let him tell you all about it next, right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. And each and every Wednesday at this time, my man Dirty Red, Clint Sterner from Sports Radio 610. Former, I won't say former Razorback, because once you're a Razorback, you're always a Razorback, but former Cowboys quarterback was a tremendous quarterback for the Razorbacks the man knows ball and I love getting a chance to talk with him Clint how you doing my man
5: man I'm doing good look here I mean work is work is covering the sports teams in uh in Houston and Rockets put I mean uh you know Rockets are, are right around the corner uh Astros are, are going to game five in the first first uh series of the playoffs and the Texans put up 53 baby let's ride
0: yeah let's do it now we're gonna we're gonna talk about the Texans and in a second, talk about that win and then moving forward against the Chiefs. But I want to talk about something that you did last night. And I didn't get a chance to go because I was actually over here at an event at NRG Stadium. But you had an opportunity last night, an evening with Sean Watson uh, at the Verizon uh, location that you guys have in your building. And Sean played the interview, of course, of his parts on the radio. He never played your parts, which I was probably more interested in here, what you had to say. But what was that overall experience like, Clint, getting a chance to sit down with Deshaun and break down some of the film? And I know that he talked in particular about the Saints touchdown that he threw late in the game to Kenny Stills and kind of went into great detail about that. But what was that experience like for you and how fun was that?
5: Yeah, look, it's it's always fun, man, when you can essentially get back in the locker room or, or get back in the film room with a guy that's... that's brought up the same way when I say brought up, I mean, in, in football inching and playing and in the quarterback meeting room. And, uh, you know, it it, it was an absolute blast, man. I mean, and and going into it, you never know. I've spent a lot of time, man, with a lot of NFL quarterbacks and you never know if they're, if they're going to be, you know, they're going to be real closed off. Is there going to be a big ego? Is is there going to be an attitude? And I tell you, man, Deshaun Watson was an absolute, I mean, he's always a pleasure to be around unbelievable guy. But just an open book, man. When it when it comes to talking ball, and so it, um, I had eight plays in the chamber, ready to talk, ready to discuss, and we got through about three of them. So he's <laughs> an open book, and when it's some serious step John, it was really, really cool, man.
0: Obviously, you want to be prepared because there's some things that you go in in something like that, and Clint, I'm sure is probably this way for you. You probably went in with an idea of what you wanted to kind of lead him into, and then there were probably some places he took you where you may not have even thought he was going to take you. Was that the case with him last night? Yeah, man. Look, John, I, so I started
5: out with the Cowboy play when they, when they beat the Cowboys in overtime last year with, when DeAndre Hopkins had the big catch after the catch. and So I knew everybody in the building would be familiar with it, and I knew he would remember it. And, and I mean, it just it, you know goes into – I just wanted to talk about the route concept because that's a lot of what the Texans do. you got to clear out on one side. you got to deep over on the other side. Yep. And uh, I wanted to go into that, man, when he went into sliding the protection this way and reading the second level of the defense and the Kiki QT in the play action. And, yeah, man, so, I mean, when you talk about, had I known Deshaun a little bit better, I would have known, hey, man, get three plays in the chamber and do everything <laughs> you can to get him to speak in, in, in general public terms, you know. So, But, it, it, look, he, he pulled back the curtain for everybody, man. It was absolutely a phenomenal event. And, and I tell you, man, the Houston Texans have got, they, I don't know, everybody, we always rip and, rip and tear apart on every decision and every transaction and every draft pick. I tell you what, man, they got it right with number four. And you, see, you, can, you can rest assured and be extremely confident that uh, not only do you got one of the most electric players taking snaps at quarterback for your team, but you've got one of the most cerebral quarterbacks in the league. You've got one of the hungriest guys in the league. You've got one of the most humble guys in the league. Uh, The quarterback of the Houston Texans is a special, special player, and the franchise and the city should be proud of what number four represents and what he means every day when he he gets out in public and when he takes the field.
0: Clint, after the Carolina game, a video of his press conference went viral when he was asked a question by Aaron Reese of The Athletic, and... At at first when you hear it and he says, Well, do you know what coverage they were in? He kind of looks to the side and just says, You know, forget it, I'm just gonna tell you about football at this point. Here's what they were doing. And then he was asked a question, and he kinda went into what the Falcons were doing. They become must see videos of his press conference, not only in Houston, but across the country. When you saw those those that first video in particular, I mean it's sort of like it's sort of like he's speaking Spanish and yet we can understand everything as football guys kind of know what he's talking about. But how cool do you think that is for the football fan to hear him go into great detail about what he's seeing out on the field? Obviously using terms maybe they don't understand, but they're at least getting a pretty good glimpse into what a quarterback has to do, which you had to do uh, back when you were playing as well. How cool do you think it is for the football fan to see what he's doing?
5: Well, I, I think it's it's obviously really cool, but, but I think it's eye-opening for the media members. I think it's eye-opening for the fans, the, the armchair quarterbacks. And that's one thing we did last night that was very similar, and I just kind of you know, set the stage and he just ran with it. But I think the number one thing that fans left with was the amount of things that a quarterback has to do with the line of scrimmage is absolutely mind-blowing, right? Yep. Everybody, you sit there and watch it, and, and you, you sit there and watch it from the upper deck or – from that angle that you're in your seat and you can see all 22. You watch it on TV. You can see the line of scrimmage. You can see the backers. You can see the ball thrown and compl- And you just think it's guys playing catch and it looks real easy. And after after Deshaun gets through with one of those press conferences, or after he got through last night, John, it was one of those things where I know for a fact that everybody that was in that room last night they left going, "Man, I've got a new respect for what a, what a quarterback goes through and all the decisions that have to be made and how hard it is to just play catch. It's not going out." In the front yard and playing catch with a guy, it's coordinating the dance with eleven players. Uh, you know, and you're in the, you're in a piranha pit. You got people trying to mess up your dance and mess up your steps. And uh, man, it, it was it's really cool, man. I think that's the number one takeaway. Don't try to understand what he's saying. Just have respect for what the hell a quarterback goes through every single snap and how difficult it is to play the position.
0: That's no question. We're talking with our buddy Clint Sterner. Clint, he found a dance partner on Sunday. That being Deshaun Watson. Found a dance partner on Sunday, and it was Will Fuller, 16 targets, 14 catches. And Coach O'Brien said something after the game, and and you could see it out on the field too. The Falcons really did tilt their coverage, meaning they spent a lot of time devoted and, and resources devoted to stopping DeAndre Hopkins. And Hop still had seven catches for 88 yards. And they essentially dared the Texans to go somewhere else with the ball. And Deshaun was very comfortable in throwing the ball to Will Fuller. 14 catches, 217 yards, and three touchdowns. Clint, I don't know that you're going to score 53 points every single week, and obviously the offense only accounted for 47, it's there only. But you're not going to score 47 every week. But how valuable was it, do you think, for this offense that Will Fuller had the game that he did to sort of put on notice to other teams saying, look, you can pick your poison, but if you pick Hopkins, we're going to burn you with Will Fuller.
5: Look, look, John, I mean, we've been asking for this forever for everything for two years since really since Deshaun's been quarterback in the Texans I've been watching and I've been going man it's fun to watch it's electric it's there's fireworks there's some games that you score a boatload of points um but man it's gotta it's gotta get more consistent and the only way that it does that is if Deshaun takes what the defense gives him and and when you say that I know that's just that's coach speak and that's a term that everybody hears all the time but when when you it, it, it magnified tenfold here in Houston because the defense is going to give you a ton of opportunity opposite DeAndre Hopkins and and when I mean heck, anybody anybody opposite DeAndre Hopkins should be able to go out there and 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 put up good numbers and help this team move the football. But when that guy opposite DeAndre Hopkins has the talents that Will Will four has, then that guy can go out there and put up two hundred plus yards and and two and three touchdowns, should have had four or five touchdowns, got stopped inside the one a couple of times. I mean, that's what's possible. That's why I go on the radio every day and I go, guys, it's so important to just take what the defense gives you. There was a perfect play in that game that that uh, I, I think it gives me a ton of confidence moving forward. Now, I asked Deshaun about it last night. It was a 21-yard throw in the first half, maybe the first quarter, to Jordan Akins, to the quarterback's left yeah. side, he yeah, caught yeah. It right there in the flat. He turned it up. John, the safety was in the in the middle of the field, dead in the middle of the field. He was not tilted over to the right. Where field, the corner on Hopkins was pressed nine times out of ten. Let's say I'm gonna say ten times out of ten, Deshaun Watson takes that snap and throws that go route to Hopkins, regardless of the situation. You know he's developed when he takes the snap. He dumps it to. To Akins instead, he doesn't take the bait. He doesn't take the bait of, of Hopkins over there. In that low percentage throw. He just gives it to Akins right here, and Akins gets twenty-plus yard gain, and it's an easy, easy execution by the quarterback in the offensive line. That's what I'm talking about. Take what the defense gives you, and there was there were several signs of that for four quarters versus Atlanta. I believe it's a step that Deshaun's taking in the right direction relative to maturing and developing.
0: Clint, I've said this this week as people have asked me about the game on Sunday. 32 points went up on the board for the Falcons. I still felt like the defense played a pretty solid ball game. They got some heat on Matt Ryan. They only had two sacks, but I thought J.J. was excellent with five pressures. D.J. gets a sack. That's two and a half on the year. That's a career high for him. But it felt like they were spinning the dial a little bit. They were doing some different things. The run game was non existent because the Texans shut it down, and Julio Jones was seemingly non existent. Two things you needed to do in that game. I thought the defense was, it wasn't great, but I thought it was pretty good. What'd you think overall of how the defense played?
5: Well, I think when you talk about the point total, you got to at least mention the fact that there was a muff punt inside the 10, 15 yard line there. So, I mean, look, that, that, that ended up being an eight point swing. So you're really looking at a 24 point game. Um, and, and so and, – and that, that offense – and I know the offensive line is struggling, but that offense is awfully dangerous with those players, man. they got got the serious skill guys. And to hold them to 24 points, you, you, you should be happy. The Texans should win that game. Now, Rack's not happy. He's going to break that down. He's going to say, man, we should have gave up seven or we should have gave up ten. got to get better. But I know as, a, as, a, as you evaluate the team, 24 points is, is a winning effort versus Atlanta – with the offense that you have and and with the, the 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 firepower that you have on on the offensive side of the football i mean when, when it's all said and done you missed two extra points and and you gave them eight points there was a 10 point swing right there just in the mistakes the special teams made that's unacceptable that's got to get corrected and i think when you talk about the defensive production, I'm not mad at all I, there's obviously some corrections that need to be made but I'm not mad about this about what the defense did. I, I've got all the confidence in the world. Going into week
0: six with these guys. Week six will be in Kansas City, and that means one Patrick Mahomes. And, Clint, I'll tell you, the first time I got a chance to see uh, Mahomes up close was at Texas Bowl against LSU. And I remember he made a throw in that game, and I'm telling you, I was standing right – he was running right at me on the sideline. I mean right at me. And he reached back and threw one back to the inside of the field against the grain, and I'm like, how did he do that? And he threw a 30-yard strike on the money for our first down two plays later he threw a touchdown pass to Jakeem Grant and I thought that kid could play quarterback because that's something I've never seen before as you get ready to face Patrick Mahomes I know he's dealing with a little bit of an ankle and that'll be interesting how that plays out because he might have to stay in the well a little bit more than move out and make some plays out of the pocket what do you think about this one facing a guy like Patrick Mahomes and what do you think about Mahomes overall
5: well look Mahomes is is, he's the best in the game right now when you talk about just sheer arm talent the ability to 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 make awkward angle throws, to change his arm slot, to find a way if a receiver's open, he's going to find a way to to get the ball to him. He's got an unbelievable amount of arm strength to go with that arm talent. You know, I think the Texans are catching him at the right time, though. Sammy Watkins went out. Obviously, uh, Tyree Hill is, is supposed to return, but you don't know what you're going to get there. At least he'll be a little bit rusty. Patrick Mahomes got that banged-up ankle. The offensive line is banged up. Uh, they're coming off of a a tough, tough game where they got beat up versus Indy just as far as playing four quarters. It's a physical, physical game versus Indy. And so look, there's no doubt that Kansas city is one of the most powerful offenses in the league, but you are catching them at a time where the offense appears to be somewhat, somewhat uh, handcuffed because of injuries. And the defense is coming off an absolute tail whooping relative to, uh, you know, facing a physical uh, Indianapolis team. So, If you're going to catch them, if if Kansas City's going to be on your schedule, this is when you want to catch them. And and uh, so the Texans are are catching a little bit of a break there, but nonetheless, boy, I sure expect it to be a fun, a fun, fun game to watch when you got Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson going head to head.
0: Throw in the fact that Kansas City travels to Denver on Thursday night, so they've got to play the Texans at home and then turn around and go to Denver on Thursday night. That is a tough turnaround. And it, I wonder if that will then maybe make the decision on Tyreek Hill a little different. Do they wait? Do they try and play? I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see how they handle this with the injuries they've gotten with Tyreek Hill deal with the injury that he had as well. Uh, but Mahomes, he can stand back there on one leg with one arm dead and completely in complete passes all day long because of his arm town. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Clint Sterner, you can hear him two to six on our flagship sports radio uh, six ten, and you need to do it because. You get edumacated every single day when you listen to this guy. And, oh, by the way, you get entertained as well. Clint, you're the best, my man. Appreciate it, brother. Talk to you soon. Hey, man,
5: thank thank you guys for having me, man. Y'all have a good one. There he is,
0: Dirty Red. Clint Sterner joining me on this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. Coming up, Joshua Briscoe. Who? Yeah, we're going to go behind enemy sidelines with DP Sidhu in this week. Joshua Briscoe covers the Kansas City Chiefs like no other. He's got some great stuff for you to kick off our second hour of Texans All Access. Keep it right where you are. One hour in the books, one hour left to go right here on Texas All Access on this wonderful Wednesday evening from the Hyundai Texans radio studio. I am John Harris, your host. Glad to be with you. It's time to go behind enemy sidelines with DP Sidhu. Each and every week, DP has a chance to sit down with an analyst, a reporter, a writer, a radio voice from the other side. And this week, it's Joshua Briscoe. You can hear him on Sports Radio 810. He does the Chiefs postgame show on 810. You can also hear his podcast, Times Hours, On The Athletic, Joshua Briscoe serving it up with D.P. Sidhu as we go behind enemy sidelines. D.P., take it away.
6: Joshua, long time no talk. How are you doing today?
7: I'm doing excellent. My ankle feels fine. That's going around right now, so I can't complain.
6: I was going to say, ankles are a thing right now. Well, it is (laughs) Wednesday. The the Chiefs are back at practice, so let's just get right to it. I saw some of your tweets. Looks like Patrick Mahomes was out there practicing. What did you think of how much he was able to do?
7: In the portion that we got to see, which was an illustrious two-and-a-half minutes or so, he was trying to get some work in on that ankle. He talked in the availability beforehand. He said it felt pretty good. Uh, he was asked how good. He said not perfect, but, you know, good enough. He, he was doing a little bit that we saw again at the very, very beginning. He wasn't, he wasn't super taped up. He wasn't treating it super gingerly or anything. And I would actually argue that towards the end of the Colts game on that last drive, he was moving around decently, so I think he'll be good to go by Sunday.
6: Obviously, Kansas City coming off the first loss of its season, uh, losing to the Colts on Sunday night. We were really all rooting for uh, Kansas City down here, that is. Uh, You know, what started off as high hopes for a shootout, the way that it ended, what's been the reaction in Kansas City? Now, you're a few days removed from it, obviously, but, you know, what's sort of the sense that you get in covering the team?
7: It depends on where you look. Um, Because I laugh because I think of uh, the the gif of uh, Donald Glover and community walking into that. Room that says everything's on fire. He's holding pizza boxes and just you're like, what is going on? That's Twitter. Twitter has been that the last couple of days for this disastrous four and one football team. Um, and then you know, taking calls in the post game show and whatnot, you're going to find the, the people that are going to dig into it really dramatically. I think for the most part. A lot of people have concerns on the run defense and people have a lot of concerns about Mahomes' health and then what this offense looks like until it gets healthier because that's a huge issue right now. Um, But I I think that the the grand scheme of things, the majority of people see that as being a really bad game on Sunday night that had a lot of things going wrong for the Chiefs and not necessarily indicative of some meltdown coming over the next few weeks.
6: I know everybody down here is very excited to see Deshaun Watson versus Patrick Mahomes. When you look at their numbers, each of them, between the two of them, 22 touchdowns, one interception, that one interception, of course, Deshaun Watson's. But the numbers these guys are putting up, being from the same 2017 draft class, what's the reaction up there in Kansas City to get to see these two quarterbacks go head to head for the first time?
7: I'm really excited about it, and and Mahomes talked about it a little bit today. Andy Reid talked about it a little bit today. Uh, This is not some, like, super secret inside report, but I'm piecing some stuff together. Uh, I think if Patrick Mahomes would have been taken by the Bears at two or three or whatever, um, I think the Chiefs would have probably made a move for Deshaun Watson. Clearly, Mahomes was was the first guy on their board, but I really think that there's there's a ton of, of respect for him from this front office, and the same goes throughout the fan base. I'm really excited to see these two guys go head to head. And and frankly, like, I think we're going to see that happening for a really long time. Even their playing styles, like the places where they do kind of jive, they're obviously different quarterbacks in a variety of places, but the the excitement level that both of these guys have with the, the incredible amount of talent around both of them is super, super exciting.
6: Let's talk about some of that talent. I remember watching in week one Tyreek Hill going out with that clavicle injury against the Jaguars. And when the uh, reports came out about when he would return back to the lineup, I know we were all looking at the calendar like, oh, that's uh, that's right around week six when we play Kansas City. Uh, (laughs) Does he need some more time to recover? Because I'm fully going to vouch for that. But what can you tell us about Tyreek Hill and his situation?
7: I can tell you what the Chiefs have told us. What the Chiefs have told us is that they don't totally know what to do here. Andy Reid made the point today. This doesn't happen ever. This isn't a football injury. Like This isn't a hamstring or a groin or a concussion or a shoulder in a traditional sense. Like it, it, We're talking about joints and the clavicle and which way it pops out and pops back in and everything. The 100% indicator for Tyreek Hill is just going to be, hey, if somebody lands on him, is he more likely to have this injury happen again or not? As soon as they can say either that the risk is very, very low or almost zero, then he'll be playing again. He'll be playing at full speed and all of that. He's not limited in a range of motion or anything. He's catching passes. He's still super fast. Like All of those things all seem to be good. If he was playing flag football, he might have played in week two or at least by week three. At this point though, it's just what happens if somebody lands on him at an awkward angle again and, and would he be able to withstand that.
6: So in practice, has he been out there the last few weeks? Otherwise he seems like he's able to do what he normally does when he's when he's out there and healthy. Is that correct? Yeah, so he
7: yeah, he practiced last week, and um, there was a little bit of confusion about Andy Reid kind of referring to him as being a full participant, and if that's actually true or not. It it was for, from Andy Reid's perspective, he was doing everything they were asking him to do, which obviously didn't include, uh, you know, full hits and, and body weight situations like you would see in a game. And so I expect it to pretty much be the case this week as well. Um, as far as all of the non-contact stuff, he's he's been fully participating and good to go.
6: All right, let's talk about some of those other injuries from Sunday night's game. Chris Jones, he was the defensive lineman. He was also among the injuries, and I saw Ian Rappaport tweeting out that he may miss some time um, and that he's probably the most significant injury coming out of Sunday's game. What is it about Jones that makes him so important on that defense? Who steps up in his place if he can't go, and what is your confidence level that he would be able to play on Sunday? So
7: the, the thing that he brings is is the incredibly rare skill in the NFL to absolutely just wreck from the middle of a defensive line. You know, fastest way to the quarterback, all of those cliches, getting there as quickly as possible, all that. He's that guy. I mean, he's not producing at the Aaron Donald level, but the second tier of guys at that position includes Chris Jones. You could have him at two or you could have him at four, but but Chris Jones is in that next tier. And he is so important to this pass rush that has had some significant problems already this year, even after trading for Frank Clark this offseason. At this point, because of that sort of estimation of he could miss time week to week, you know, putting that in giant air quotes, I'm not terribly optimistic um, about him playing in this game. And as far as who steps in for him, Xavier Williams got a bunch of playing time on Sunday, but he was just put on injured reserve. Colin Saunders, a small school guy, third-round draft pick, he was inactive through the first few weeks of the season. He was active against the Colts for the first time. He's just he's a developmental piece at this point. Derek Nottie is already starting. So, they, I mean, they made a, a, a very quiet roster acquisition, two of them yesterday, with signing an O and a D lineman. All of that to say, I don't really know what the plan's going to be there. It could be Colin Saunders. They could do more Tano Pasino and Emmanuel Ogba in the middle of the line instead of at the end. But there's there's no replacing Chris Jones's production without him out there. And whoever they do try to put in that spot is going to have a really hard time being half of that player, honestly.
6: I know in the offseason there was a lot of news made about uh, the signing of Frank Clark. The Chiefs obviously invested very heavily in... Um, and and bringing him over, how has he lived up to the expectations since he signed there?
7: I mean, you could check out his Twitter, like personally, and you'll see that he hasn't lived up to his own expectations. It's early, and so I guess I can talk to you differently than I'm talking to a Chief fans who are watching him very very closely on a weekly basis. You guys know, I mean, this is this is a pass rusher in a new spot trying to figure out what exactly the extent is that, that he can produce to. He's, he's gotten a lot of attention from opposing offenses, though. And, and so he's gotten a ton of double teams, taken a bunch of chips. Like, he has been the focal point for a lot of offenses. In trying to deal with him and Chris Jones, you would expect someone else to be thriving a little bit more. There was kind of the Emmanuel Ogba game just basically being the guy that doesn't get all of that attention. But but he hasn't been super, super productive. He's been very good at the run game. He's had a lot of attention paid to him. But he has not gotten to the quarterback at nearly the rate that you expect him to whenever he's paved this way. So he's he's going to be a guy to keep an eye on. If he breaks through, like that's really bad news for Deshaun Watson, really bad news for the Texans. But he hasn't had one of those games achieved yet.
6: I know we talk about pass rushers a lot and keeping these quarterbacks upright and healthy because they are such a precious commodity. What are they saying up there in Kansas City about that O-line having to face the likes of J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless on Sunday?
7: Um, I would like to just let out an exasperated sigh because that's probably <laughs> the answer. Um, you saw on Sunday night, I think a lot of people probably found out that Justin Houston was a cult. And uh, you saw him emphasizing that a couple of times. Eric Fisher, the the number one, the the former number one overall draft pick, and uh, a guy who's really rounded into a really nice tackle. He was a pro bowler last year, which he's not not even the best tackle on the team, but he's a a totally solid left tackle. He's been out now uh, for a little bit, and and he will almost certainly not be playing against the Texans. And that's a really big problem because Cam Irving, a former first-round draft pick with Cleveland, uh, he was okay filling in for Eric Fisher before that Colts game and against Indianapolis, he got whooped. I mean, it was it was really rough. And then the rest of the offensive line sort of seems to fracture outside of him. Mitch Schwartz on the right side, he has shut down everyone he's blocked for as long as he's been in Kansas City. He was doing that in Cleveland also. I, I could not be less worried about the right tackle spot. But uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif at right guard, relatively highly paid but um hasn't been outstanding this year and then at center and left guard you've got inexperience you've got cam irving at left tackle that entire left side of the line uh has presented a lot of concern over the last couple of weeks never more evident than it was against the colts in prime time
6: all right joshua what are some of the other big storylines that you're following this week as the uh, chiefs get ready to host the texans
7: Maybe the single most interesting thing, sort of non injury division, that's come out of the last couple of weeks is how much man coverage teams have been playing against the Chiefs. The Lions did it pretty successfully. And then the Colts, under their, their defensive coordinator, Eberfluth, over the last 20 games or so. Um, they've never played more than a, about 26% of their time in man coverage. And they were around 75% in man coverage against the Chiefs on Sunday night. So that was totally unexpected. We've heard everyone you know, basically confirm that. I mean, Travis Kelsey said as much today. Um, that was really, really different. And the Chiefs weren't ready for it. And they're having a, a way harder time. Beating man coverage without Tyreek Hill, without Sammy Watkins, who like suited up but never really like, he spent like a snap or two out there um, against the Colts. So without those two guys out there, the the talent level drops enough. For this offense, that beating a beating man coverage has been really difficult for them these last couple of weeks. It's even difficult to go back to the AFC Championship game. So it, I'm sure they'll be preparing for the Texans to throw a bunch of man coverages at them because that's been the most effective way of stopping the Chiefs' offense that anyone has seen with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. So that's really interesting. Um, Another thing is, is a little bit of Carlos Hyde revenge game, maybe not, not really revenge game, but he was here, obviously this preseason and throughout training camp in the preseason, he looked totally pedestrian. Um, and, and now the Chiefs bring in a run defense defense that has been much maligned. They gave up a million yards to the Colts on 45 carries on those only four yards a carry All, that whole storyline to save you from a 20 minute monologue, I think has been way overblown because the chiefs run defense and the Chiefs' defense altogether, especially against the Colts didn't give up even 20 points. That is, has always worked for the chiefs offense. So that, that the run defense thing will come up. I'm not super worried about it. I am really concerned to see what happens against man coverages uh, with a team almost certainly trying to use that for the third straight week.
6: Yeah, I definitely, I saw some of the Patrick Mahomes postgame press conference and he brought up that as well. Uh, that's definitely something we're going to be looking for, especially with this defense. And as far as Carlos Hyde, I did—I had a chance to talk with him last week. He actually had some great things to say about Kansas City, but you're right. It might be a great revenge match for him. Let's hope it's not a revenge match for Tyron Matthew on the other side of the ball as well.
7: Yeah. You know what? I, I kind of forgot that he was a Texan. That kind of just slipped through for a second. He, he left
6: on great terms, and we all, we all just loved having Tyron here. But, you know, he left of his own accord. So he got the money, and he left yes. good for him. But hopefully he, he got his first interception last week and, and we just kind of, you know, we just kind of fade into oblivion for one week and then he can come back and do his thing again.
7: <laughs> I want to tell you, he is, uh, he's probably on the team that most needed him this off season because the safety spot for the Chiefs last year was an absolute nightmare and stability at a Tyron Matthew level is exactly what the secondary needed. It needed it desperately. Great stuff there from Joshua
0: Briscoe, who covers the Chiefs for Sports Radio 810 and also... There's a Chiefs podcast called Time's Hours on the Athletic. Excellent stuff there. All right, we're going to have our Men Behind the Mic segment coming up next with a little bit of a tweak. Yeah, we'll get into that next right here on Texans All Access. This week's Stats Challenge brought to you by Schlumberger. Visit HoustonTexas.com today to register to take the Stats Challenge. AFC Offensive Player of the Week, Deshaun Watson. How about these stats? 28 of 33. You can do the math. Thirty-three minus twenty-eight is what? Five. Keep that in mind. For four hundred twenty-six yards and five touchdowns, Sean Watson is the only player in the history of the NFL. His cleats have gone to Canton to throw for over four hundred yards, have five touchdowns, and have five or fewer five or fewer incompletions. Now he's done that before where he has thrown more touchdowns or thrown as many touchdowns as incompletions or fewer incompletions. Against Miami, if I remember correctly, last year, he had five touchdowns and four incompletions. But that was like six, I think he was 12 of 16, something like that, or 16 of 20, something like that, where he didn't throw 33 times. He threw 33 times, completed 28 of those. And I know in the second half, he was completing them to everybody. I don't remember many incompletions in the second half at all. He was phenomenal. 28 of 33, 426 yards, 5 touchdowns, a perfect 158.3 passer rating. Shoes going to the Hall of Fame because he was the first one in the history of the NFL to go over 400 yards, 400 yards or more, 5 touchdowns, and 5 or fewer incompletions. That is just absolutely insane. Bonkers to me when you think about it. Welcome back to Texas All-Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, and I always love our Men Behind the Mic segment. This week, I was really looking forward to this because I like Mitch Holtis, the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, because I always hear that, touchdown Kansas City, and I always think of Mitch Holtis because he's obviously the man doing that. He was unable to come on today with Mark Vandermeer, so we just went one chair to the left. Kendall Gammon, game analyst for the Chiefs, decided to step in, and he sat down with Mark Vandermeer earlier today. Kendall, great to have you aboard.
3: I know it's a loss that you're coming off of here, but give me a little taste of how things are going with the Chiefs this week as they prepare for the Texans.
8: Well, it's certainly uh, difficult. Uh, That was unexpected, as you might imagine. I think the Chiefs were, you know, a double-digit favorite. But Indianapolis just came in here, executed their game plan, ran the ball. I thought they would try to do that, certainly. And I think that offensive line had a chip on their shoulder after the 2018 playoff loss in Arrowhead Stadium. So, you know, it was just an efficient day. Chiefs could not stop the run, gave up 185 yards. And then Jacoby Brissett was just, as I just mentioned, very, very proficient. Uh, he wasn't you know, unbelievable, but he did enough. He's just fast enough to hurt you with his legs and big enough to get out of tackles and, and plays.
3: I know it was a surprise that you didn't score more points, but let's start with the defense here. What level of surprise did you have as the Colts were able to run the football so well at Arrowhead that night?
8: Yeah, that's the tough thing. You knew when you look at that Indy line, their center, their left guard, their left tackle, all the number one picks, uh, and then their right tackle is a number two pick. So they've invested a lot in that. So you you assume they would be uh, successful. But the fact is, they just manhandled the defensive line of Kansas City. And, of course, Okafor was out, the starting uh, defensive end, so they're down one. And then we lost two more defensive linemen throughout the night, the main one being Chris Jones so it started out bad and really it just got worse and it seemed like nothing they did worked every once in a while you brought a safety blitz Joker off the edge and Tyron Matthew had some success there or some run blitzes but ultimately they just had their way with us in the run.
3: Kendall Gammon joining us Chiefs color commentator for their radio network now offensively we know Mahomes got banged up throughout the game but what were the Colts doing defensively that was so effective against Kansas City?
8: Uh, you know what? Uh, they did run a few games, but ultimately uh, they were getting some one-on-ones with Justin Houston on left tackle, Cam Irvin. That was pretty successful. Of course, Cam is the backup for Eric Fisher, who is out with a groin injury that he's dealt with surgically here in the last few weeks. So uh, you had that happening. And then uh, later on in the game, the left guard, Andrew Wiley, who's only in his second year, he was getting beat pretty well one-on-one also. And that's ultimately what it was. The one-on-one matchups that Indianapolis was getting, they were winning and they were able to only rush four for the most part. So that meant they had seven in coverage and it was just tough.
3: Kendall, if Mahomes is dinged up to the point where he's not quite as mobile as normal. And I got to think the chiefs want to run the football better anyway. What are the Texans seeing here in the chiefs running game? What are they to expect?
8: Well, yeah, I I agree with you. If, If, uh, Mahomes can't be mobile. That takes away a lot of his game. Last year, he had 15 touchdowns to three interceptions outside the pocket, almost 1,000 yards. That's more than 200, more than the, the next closest. So uh, that is part of his game. They will want to run the ball. Uh, you know, LeSean hopefully will be healthy, and you hope that this offense will step up this offensive line after what happened last week, where they, you know, the regular running backs didn't even run the ball 10 times. But that being said, you're still going to have a backup. Left tackle and Cam Irving going, albeit for his, I think, third or fourth straight game. Um, Devin Wiley will probably be a, a game time decision at left tackle. So you essentially have, uh, you know, reserves at the left guard and tackle position. And so I, I'm really not sure. I mean, you want to establish the run. I know that. Um, but that's easier said than done. I think the Texans will take a page out of uh, the book from the last two games with Detroit and Indianapolis, which is. Rush lanes, make sure you don't get too far upfield on the edge and give Mahomes a way to get outside the pocket where he can see better and he can navigate better. Uh, That seems to be the trick that I think is working best against the Chiefs right now is if you can just keep Mahomes in the pocket and get pressure on him eventually.
3: Kendall Gammon joining us. He does color commentary for the Chiefs Radio Network. What about special teams? I know you're an expert in this area as well, having been a long snapper, spent a lot of time, went to a Pro Bowl, played for the organization. What are the Chiefs offering up on special teams?
8: Not a lot one way or the other. The one positive this week is they didn't have any special teams penalties. The week before, I think they had three or four penalties. But in general, um, there was nothing great. Uh, and there was nothing awful that, that stood out last week. Uh, you know, Dustin Colquitt, you know, in his 15th year, he's very, very capable punter. Has been Pro Bowl multiple times. Harrison Bucker has a strong leg, but you know, they haven't gotten to use it a lot last week. I mean, only having uh, 10 points last week was, you know, very underwhelming. Obviously, so not a lot I can tell you about that, except the fact of knowing uh, what I know about Houston and. And uh, talking with special teams coordinator and assistant head coach Dave Tobe, very respectful of the Houston Texans uh, special teams game, thinks they're fast, thinks they're physical. Um, I think you've got anger. Is this going to be his third or fourth weekend with you all? But he had a lot of good things to say with him. I think he's got a 47 net, so he's doing some good things for you all. And ultimately, it's like every week, you're trying to create the best field position you can through your special team and right now the Chiefs have just been okay with that you know in the bottom half of the league which is normally something that Dave Tobe is not accustomed to so certainly trying to get that going.
3: Kendall you've been with the organization for a long time as we said what's it been like this transition from the Alex Smith Chiefs to the Patrick Mahomes Chiefs so explosive what has that whole dynamic been like around the fan base
8: the organization all of it? It starts with Andy Reid and what he does, and, and I think he's just – I mean, he's a CEO, could run a multi-billion-dollar company. He's on top of every aspect. In terms of Patrick Mahomes from Alex Smith, you just have a, a different cat. I mean, you've got somebody who's got generational talent, I believe. You've seen the, the highlights of some of the things he does and seems to have eyes in the back of his head. He, he's just special. The, the guys follow him. You know, for only being in his third year – uh, this team is already his, as you might expect me in the MVP last year. You know, he, he's just somebody that brings a whole different swagger to the offense. You know, used to be third and uh, medium to long or, or even 15 or, or 20. You know, like with Alex Smith, you know, that just wasn't his game. You, you almost knew you were going to punt. With Patrick Mahomes, you know that anything is possible, and we've seen a lot of it in the last couple of years. So I think it's really just the possibilities that he opens up on the offense, uh, I, I think, makes a difference.
3: Tell me a little bit about your career, Kettle, because you were with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, you could play line, but you also knew that long snapping could be a real good way to stay around the league for a long time. How did all that develop for you?
8: Yeah, you know what? You've really done your homework. You're right. On my best day, I was an average offensive lineman, but I, I came, I was drafted in the 11th round. I was considered the best long snapper coming into the league at that time and you know, hung around for 15 years. And, you know, my heaviest, I was 3'10". Um, So I was a backup lineman, but if I couldn't long snap, I wouldn't have stayed in the game. And, you know, I was part of that revolution, I'd, I'd like to think, that helped turn long snapping into a necessity. When I came into the league, you really didn't have a dedicated long snapper. When I came out of the league, every single team had one, and you recognized it just like a punter or a kicker. And you just realize now special teams are such an important part of the game, and that was one part of the game that was being taken advantage of, I think, was poor, poor snaps and people taking it for granted. So, you know, I'd like to think that I helped change that in some small way throughout my career. And, you know, I was fortunate, you know, to stay around 15 years, less than 80 people have played that long. So I'm very proud of it. I was able to play in the Super Bowl, able to play in the Pro Bowl. And um, the fact that, you know, I'm in my 13th year broadcasting now and 28th overall in the NFL in some way is just, You know, it's special. I have to pinch myself, quite honestly. All
3: right, tell me about the home field advantage at Arrowhead. I've been there, of course, but what can the fans expect the Texans are getting into on Sunday against the Chiefs on the road?
8: Yeah, well, certainly I'm a homer, but it really is special, and it's tough to play in. When I was with the Saints or the Steelers, this was the one place that was tough to come because you just can't hear yourself think. Uh, I was actually sideline voice and announced the the 142.2 when the Chiefs set the the world record for outdoor stadiums. And, I mean, it's like a jet engine down there. Literally, you can be a couple yards from somebody, you can yell, and you cannot hear yourself. So uh, when the crowd really gets going uh, and the game's on the line, they make a difference, and it's very hard to communicate. So certainly the offense at Houston, I would think, will work uh, with noise in some way, shape, or form this week and have a lot of hand signals because, really, you have no other choice if you want to do things. And, you know, when you're on the road against the Chiefs, I think lots of times you just have to limit your ability to audible a little bit because the crowd just makes it that difficult. The big thing it does also is, you know, for the the, the offensive tackles of Houston, um, you're not going to be able to hear, and so you got to go on some silent counts sometimes. And, and ultimately, the defensive end have a chance to get a little bit of a jump on you at times, so that makes it more difficult for the edges.
3: One more for you, Kendall. What are they saying about the Texans in Kansas City? Give us a glimpse, inside or outside the building.
8: Oh, well, just complete and total respect. Uh, What you guys are doing there is special. There's no doubt about that. What you did last week was just amazing, and Chiefs and the Texans have played each other a lot the last four or five years, so... Uh, I don't know that there's animosity, but there's some familiarity and one, one team or the other trying to get the other back, I think. And, you know, you go to the playoffs there a few years back when the chiefs came in there and got a playoff win, but um In general, you hear Andy Reid talk about it. He just has nothing but respect for Houston and what they're doing this week. And certainly, after what they did this last week, you can't help but take them seriously. Not only this game, but I think in the playoff race itself.
3: Thanks so much for joining us, Kendall. We really appreciate the time. I look forward to seeing you on Sunday.
8: Hey, you bet. Take care. Have a great call.
0: Now, Kendall was a long-time long snapper for the Chiefs, but he was also a tight end. And tight end is a theme on part of In the Lab this week. Now, we had plenty to talk about it in the lab. We gave our cream-of-the-crop players, and we talked a little bit about what happened against the Atlanta Falcons. We spent a lot of time talking about the tight ends. We'll have that for you next. In the Lab crew dives into the tight ends. Keep it right where you are. One final segment of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Glad to be with you on this wonderful Wednesday evening. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. And looking at Deshaun Watson, we talked about his numbers earlier, and I was able to pull up his passing chart on next-gen stats powered by AWS. And as I looked at it, I was like, man, something is odd because I've looked at Deshaun's charts before, and I've never really noticed this, but Deshaun's a right-handed quarterback. We all know that, right? Now, when you're right-handed, obviously a lot of times you're looking at the right side of the formation, correct? So you would think that that's where a lot of your passes are going to go. But he had 28 completions. Of those 28, six, seven, nine. Only nine went to the right side of the formation on the other side of the hash. Other side of the right hash. He completed one right down the middle. So that means that 18 of his passes were over to the left-hand side. Now, Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins will line up on different sides. They don't always line up on the left or the right. But I went back and I looked at some of Deshaun's charts, and it never never really looks like this. I mean, they, they're they spread out all over the place. All of his completions are spread out. It just so happened that on Sunday, they were picking on that left side. 19 completions over on the left side, from the left hash to the left sideline, versus uh, 9 from the right hash to the right sideline. Or, sorry, 18 to the left, 8 to the right. That may change next week. Interesting. Next Gen Stats powered by AWS is where I got that information. So go check that out. Great stuff right there. I like talking stats to a degree. Not all the time, but every now and again, eh, it's always good. Now, the tight ends have put up some serious stats. The In the Lab crew, a.k.a. me and Drew Doherty, sat down for a long podcast. So you want to check out the whole podcast, go find it on iTunes. You can find it on HoustonTexas.com. Go check it out, take a listen, because we went for about a good 25, 26 minutes. But I took a little snippet out of there where we talked about one of Drew's, uh, what's the right way of saying this, fetishes? That's the word he uses. He loves the tight ends. He loves talking about the tight ends. And The tight ends had a big day, obviously. Darren Fells, two touchdowns, Jordan Akins with a big catch, and he made good morning football, Kyle Brandt's angry runs as Jordan Akins tried to run over, and actually did run over, Ricardo Allen right in front of me, which is awesome because as I could see what was coming. I was like, run as you-know-what over. Run him over. And he pretty much did. So Jordan Aikens making big plays as well in the passing game. Good blocking from both. Drew and I talked about that on In the Lab. Here's a little snippet from the podcast that we posted earlier this week.
9: All right. Now you know me, man. Uh in terms of football things and stats and oddities, you could probably say I have like little fetishes for turnover <laughs> differential. I'm a yes. weirdo in that regard. We get
0: an email every Monday. It's my thing. Yeah. Um
9: and this offseason I think I've probably veered over into that area with the tight ends. Yeah. Because I was very excited about what Akins. And Thomas, we're going to bring to the table. Yep. And so far, one of them's brought quite a bit, and we'll see what Thomas does if when he comes back off of injured reserve. I do right. think he has a, a bright future. But the Texans in March signed Darren Fells. It happened late in the afternoon at night. I can't remember what day exactly. Yeah. And I I saw it, and you know I saw the reports, and they they signed a blocking tight end. I was like, okay, well, nice. Maybe he'll be, maybe he'll be the third guy if if he makes this right. roster. Right. Right. Come in the next day, I do a lot of research on this guy, I look at what he's done. And the thing that stood out to me was the previous four years, he had a combined 10 touchdown catches. Right. No Texans tight end since Owen Daniels had had that sort of production. And I'm not saying that's like he's a touchdown geyser. You know? <laughs> right, right. But <laughs> all right. think of all the guys that have played here since Owen left tw- after the 2013 season. Yeah. You had Fedorowicz, you had Ryan Griffin. It's Stephen Steven Anderson, mm-hmm. a few others that sprinkled in yeah, and out. Yeah, Garrett Graham. Garrett Graham. None of them did any of that. So this is a guy who can block. And what did we need to see upgraded off, off of the last season? You need to see better blocking. Right. Better pass protection as a whole, which involves everyone, but you needed better blocking mm-hmm. from the tight end spot. But what did you also want to see? More weapons for Deshaun Watson in the red zone. You got the greatest of all time right there in DeAndre Hopkins. He's awesome. Right. You got Will Fuller coming back. You think that's going to be good? So let's sprinkle in some other things. And Fells, nobody nobody said much about it, but the six foot seven inch frame, you saw it come into play on Sunday. Him holding the ball over the (laughs) and that wasn't like a he wasn't playing bullying Lily Puchin kid. I mean, he was playing an NFL grown man. Right. He did that over this guy. This is beautiful. Because it gives you, and you and I have gone over this at least four or five times on this podcast, it gives Bill O'Brien and the offensive play callers, Tim Kelly, Deshaun Watson, so many options. I mean, so many options because it's one more weapon. And he's really, he's both. He's a weapon and protection. He's sword and shield, which we, we, we discussed. That's one of the main thrusts of this organization over the last two years. Getting Watson protection and getting in weapons.
0: On Will Fuller's second touchdown... The deep the deep throw into the mm-hmm. end zone fell stays in the block and Alan Bailey who's a good 300 pounds yep I mean stout dude he's over there rushing off his left offenses right and fells was a tight end on that side so there are only three guys rushing and so as a rusher you'd probably try and find okay I'm gonna take the better matchup and he looks and he's like I got Titus Howard a rookie and I got a tight end I'm gonna go against this tight end essentially so he contacts Howard and then he Moves off Howard to get the and Fells just locked him up. Yeah, just locked him up. He's in, called in himself fast protection.
9: He's called himself jokingly. Fells has he said, "I'm a left left tackle. Right. I'm a right right tackle."
0: So here's what I what I mean. You know I love that part, but I was standing in the south end zone. I was standing down in the end zone because the Texans were down there. They're about the eight yard line, and we go empty. And Fells is out to the I believe we're going to empty. And Fels is out to the right side. I think he's the number two wide receiver out there, if I remember correctly. I think there was a guy inside. I can't remember. But he was either two or three. So he's inside, which is where you tip, a tight end will be. And as I'm looking at the formation, I see that Devondre Campbell, the linebacker, who's a pretty good athlete, but he's on Fels. And I'm thinking, well that might be a good spot, but Deshaun's going to have to just, he's going to to stick it. <laughs> Fells runs at Campbell and acts like he's gonna run to the flat. Campbell steps outside and Fells sees it and goes right back inside. And as soon as he goes back inside, Deshaun throws a laser and hits him. And it was such a good route. And you look at Fells and you're like, that's a big body tight end. You, can, you can get it open with strength. That was getting open with quickness. And then, has got. The one thing that that he did, and then. We, sh- we shouldn't have – I didn't really poo-poo his receiving skills, but I focused more on his blocking.
9: Yeah, yeah. Naturally, because, I mean, he, he, he talks about it first. Others describe right. him as a blocking tight end first. And he's
0: really good yeah. as a pass protector, and that was really honestly what we needed, mm-hmm. I felt like. At that position in particular, I really felt like we needed that because we got Hopkins, we got Fuller, we had QT coming back, we had Akins and Thomas. When we had things covered, we just needed somebody to protect Deshaun. But then all of a sudden, training camp, we started seeing Darren Fells like, boy, Watson's gone to Fells a lot today. Mm-hmm. There was one day in training camp, it was like third or fourth day. Fells had like two or three drops. I was like, uh oh. And then he went right back to being as good Leviathan. as he had been. a
9: Leviathan. You just throw it his way, he's going to be there. He's going ha- he's to he's, have a chance to catch it. He's caught everything since.
0: huh. He's got three touchdowns, which is tied for the team leading touchdowns. Mm-hmm. How about that? He's tied for the team leading touchdowns. And it goes back to your point that you said. He scored a bunch of touchdowns in the last four years for the teams he was playing for. Thank God the Browns are like, no, 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 no. we're gonna go with David Njoku, which look, if you're the Browns He's you, good. David but, Njoku's good.
9: But what do they have now? A deficit at tight end other than right. Njoku. Because Njoku's hurt. Yeah.
0: So they don't really have an option. And even to, with him
9: healthy, they still you know I mean, they're lacking there.
0: And so when Darren Fells was signed, I remember thinking leadership and pass protection. And whatever you get out of him as a receiver is a bonus. And now, fast forward through week five of this season, you look at it and go, teams better figure out what to do with him. Because if you keep putting a linebacker on him, Sean's going to throw to him all day long. Yeah. Hit him, mind. And, and what I love about this is that out in L.A., it was Aikens.
9: Well, I I wanted to segue into him, too.
0: And he, you know, Aikens didn't have a huge game, but made a huge third down catch, and then nearly ran that dude over. He's like running by me, and I, I saw him, say, and I was like, run his ass over. I mean, he, like, that's what I screamed. Punish that. Akins oh, this
9: week, punished this guy. on. I mean, just absolutely face-pressed oh, him. It was, drove him into the ground. And it you, was awesome. Think about it. So three touchdowns this season for Fells. Akins has a pair. Right. You've already surpassed what the tight end group as a whole yeah. did last year touchdown-wise, and we're five games into the year.
0: That number of five, I know in 16, Fedorowicz and Griffin – I know they had touchdowns that year, but they didn't have a lot. No. They, had, they had a good number of catches combined. It's I think it was most, like 110.
9: Yeah, it's the most as a tight end group that the franchise had ever had.
0: Right. So they, they had a lot of receptions. Now, that 2016 team just didn't it, score a lot. So I know they didn't have a lot of touchdowns. So five touchdowns from the tight ends in five games, mind you. Yeah. I mean, on pace, I would tell you, that's 16 touchdowns for the tight ends this year. I mean, that would just.
9: Well, and think about would, it.
0: Crush records.
9: It's not gonna. It's not gonna be like this every week. But in the game that we just saw, because you had so many explosive plays, you scored quicker. So you didn't have as many opportunities for some of the the tight. You didn't have as many for like Akins, because you know Fuller's going for thirty some. You know, and he's he's catching these tight ends. So that's gonna rise a little bit. Yeah. Because I mean, as great as Fells played, I still think you and I would agree. Aikens is the, your, your number one guy tight end. He's mm-hmm. your number one option there. Yep. So it's just, a, I mean, it's beautiful having all these weapons for Deshaun. And oh, I think Kenny Stills might be back this week.
7: Yeah. I mean, like you <laughs> he said. he's not
9: a tight end, mind you, but he's, he might be back
0: this week. Sword and shields, a bunch yeah. of swords. Looking at 2016 stats, uh, Fedorowitz had four touchdowns, Griffin had two, and Steven Anderson one. So that was seven. Right. And I, that's probably the highest the tight ends have had in probably a long time, if ever. Yeah. And they ended up with a I'd hundred... And- to look at,
9: I'd have to look at Owens, maybe like is 08. Yeah. He was on pace in 09. He was ripping it up before his, his uh, ACL tour. And then he had, I think, 11, he was the, the team leader in, in receiving just because that was your year Dre was out, in and out of the lineup. So, yeah, they're, you got to look at his. But I, as a group, they've not been this explosive. They've not been this productive. And they haven't blocked this well collectively.
0: Yeah. 08. Owen Daniels had 70 catches. Tremendous season. Two touchdowns.
9: What did Dreesen do? That year? Zero touchdowns. Okay. 11 receptions. Huh. See, Dreesen got used more as the years went on. Yeah, he so, did. He was good.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I was always a big fan of Dreesen. It was just... It was always... A, oh, man. Colorado State players. Colorado State players and tight ends. So, in 2009... Uh, man, Jacoby Jones had six receiving touchdowns in 0-9. How about yeah. that? Uh, Owen had five. That was he had in five in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Dreesen had one. Uh, was there any other tight ends? No, it was those two. Oh, Casey. Casey had zero. Anthony Hill got on the field for one reception. I don't even know if I remember that, but
9: Anthony was five. A good
0: body, yeah, five for uh, Daniels, one for Dreesen, So that's six. I'd venture a guess, Drew, and say that that seven that the tight ends scored in 2016 is probably the team high.
9: Good chance that falls this year.
0: They're five and five games. Yeah. With Kahli Waring and Jordan Thomas on IR, if you need them, yeah, if you need them,
9: and I mean those guys are good players. Kahli's going to be a good player. Yeah. Jordan's a, oh, they're, Jordan, Jordan yeah, Legend in, in touchdowns last year with four.
0: Here's the thing I like about about Fells too. Going back to Fells, and I mentioned yeah. it a little bit leadership, just. His way is I would imagine that is very, very helpful for what is still a pretty young offense.
9: Very calm, yet easy going. Easy going, been in the league for five, six years now. Before that, played and, four years of a of professional basketball. He's seen the world. Yeah. And the He's same for Akins. Yeah. The same
0: for Akins. I mean, you look at Pro look baseball at, player. Look at JT and you look at Collie Waring. Those are young dudes. Straight out of college, boom, here you go. But Ake played baseball. Played in minor leagues for three years, I think it was, and uh-huh. then you had uh, Darren, who played basketball, just being a pro- learning how to be a professional. Yeah, learning how to be a professional. I mean, that's a that's such a big aspect, and you know, you neither know, one of them say a whole heck of a lot, but when you talk to them, it speaks volumes. I mean,
9: professionals it's been too really good. in very trying situations. the The sports they played were not as violent, right. In between the lines, but you know what? Off the field, traveling. Dealing with teammates, yes. doing so internationally. Both of them were dealing with international guys. Right. You telling me that Akins in minor league baseball wasn't having to deal with, you know, guys no from doubt. from Latin American countries, maybe some Asian countries too. Right. I mean, and then and then Fells is overseas in Europe, South yeah, America, place, Central Europe, America. America yeah. Doing the same sort of thing. It's really fascinating to see that and, and see that dynamic because that is a very athletic position group yeah, and it's been paying dividends for the Texans. Fels has been an excellent addition to this team and it was a very quiet one yep. back in March when it happened. So that's one more, one more example of don't freak out when teams don't sign big name free agents in March.
0: I mean, keep, think about the keep guys. Keep your
9: eyes on those second wave signings because that's when you get some real productivity. To Sean Gibson, he scored a pick six. Same deal. Wasn't a big name free agent signing. Bradley Roby, not a big-name free agent signing. Bradley Roby's been excellent in the secondary for the Texans. All right.
0: That was a fun podcast to do. Go check out the full podcast in the lab, HoustonTexas.com, iTunes. Go leave us a rating. Uh, We love doing that podcast. It's a really fun time, so make sure you check that out. Hopefully we'll have another fun one to talk about after this game on Sunday. Well, that'll do it, folks. It's in the books. Got a lot of people to thank for tonight's show. My man, Dirty Red, Clint Sterner, DPC, Joshua Briscoe, Got to thank Mark Vandermeer. Got to thank Kendall Gammon. Got to thank Andre Ware, of course, my man Drew Doherty for doing the In the Lab podcast with me. Uh, It's really fun to hook it up with Drew each and every week. But to you guys for listening, thank you so much. We appreciate it so very much. We will see you tomorrow, and as always, go Texans.